Okay, welcome back everyone to Voices in AI. I'm Joe Rosenbaum. I'm joined here by my friend Eldad, and we're here to talk about lots of people who are talking and doing things with AI, who you uh, should be listening to, who maybe you should think twice about listening to. And today we're going to focus on Ethan Mollick. Ethan Mollick is one of the few people right now who I feel like is not only continuously putting stuff out there, but the way he's putting it out there is like, I'm just experimenting. This is what I'm finding mm -hmm. just in the moment. Um, but why listen to him? It comes from an interesting space. So he's a smarty pants. Uh, like many of the people who we talk about, he is both an MIT and Harvard graduate and is currently an associate professor at the Wharton School at UPenn. And he's focused on innovation and entrepreneurship. What a guy, like what a job to have. Most he's been focused on AI for a little while, but it wasn't until this last year with generative AI blowing up that he has really gone full AI and education and work. One of the interesting things about him and his approach to entrepreneurship and learning is gamifying the experience. So he spent years and years creating this very interactive, like you're creating a startup and like it sends you emails that you have to respond to on time. And if you mess things up, they get pissed at you. And it's just a very interactive experience so you can really get to what, know what it's like. But uh, from there, with generative AI, he's really taken, taken it by the horns. And unlike most people in education right now, especially in higher education, which have been like, no go, gen AI is the devil, you can't use it, it's breaking the system. He's done the complete opposite. And he's been yeah, like, he enforces you have it, to use yeah. uh, ChatGPT and you need to tell me how you're using ChatGPT. So I think he's just like one of the more interesting people in the space to talk about and what he has to say. Yeah, you shared a video, which obviously we'll put in as one of the links uh, where he's speaking. And he points out that he's got students that English is not their first language and they can use the AI banter with it and rewrites and everything that it gets to the point where. Obviously, they're very happy with the paper, but there's no way for anybody to, to tell that this was written by AI. And when you talk to educators, it, that's their biggest fear, right? How can I tell if this has been so-called plagiarized or made by AI? And those elements are hypercritical for them, especially at a university. At any level, it's important, but at a university level, it's going to be much more pronounced for that kind of monitoring of the ethics and the use. I agree with you. I think what he's doing is absolutely brilliant, that he enforces students. He's written a number of papers showing exactly how he does it within his classroom. I think it's brilliant as well, because not only is the student then forced to use it and get over any discomfort, but because he's asking them, show me what your prompts were and how you used it. He's able to actually help educate them as well to become better at using the co-pilot that it, it can be. Yeah, it. it... It's wild, and and I'm hoping he paves the way. One of the things, too, he speaks very loudly about that I'm happy of is that you can't use AI at this point to detect AI writing. And so there's all these companies starting up. And in fact, we've had people reach out to us at SynthMinds and be like, hey, can you help us create some problems with ChatGPT to detect mm -hmm. AI written content? And there's nothing it, it research-wise you can't. You can't yeah. find it. And we had all these stories earlier in the year of all these false positives of professors using ChatGPT to see if this was AI generated and them just listening, assuming that it knew what it was doing. 
and students being like, what are you talking about? I, I wrote this paper. So I appreciate that he's taken that platform. And I think the best sort of representation of that is him incorporating into the classroom and him saying, I want you to use this and show me how you're using it. Because let's be honest, us at the kind of cutting edge here, this is the way we're going. People are not going to have to write like they used to have to write anymore. They're just going to have to know how to ask the right questions in the right way and critically evaluate something. Those are going to be the new skills that people need. And by not leaning into that, you're, my opinion, you're doing a disservice to your students. Yes. You're not preparing them for the future. But that's also where it's a very scary jumping off point, right? Where you can see where people go, oh my. <laughs> And it's it's not just about writing anymore, Joseph. He shows that he's helping them actually create physical products, games, or whatever. And it is a very fascinating world when you think of that. Coding, for example, are, are coders, are their jobs really going to be at risk? Could you just take AI and, and make it create whatever it is, software, product, written content, video? And you can see the world is vast, vastly and fastly going in that direction and being a, a marketer by trade that raises huge concerns for me because marketing in general is how do you signal above the noise that you have quality content and we're going to be with so much and we already are right it's been called the attention economy now for six seven years i think longer, longer than that yeah, yeah. yeah. When, whenever facebook started running ads that's when the attention economy started yeah Oh, and speaking of Facebook, you reminded me of something as you were talking about his gamification of it. Long time ago, it's got to be close to tw uh, 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, if you've ever heard of a company called Reckitt Bensicker, they're a huge consumer CPG, consumer products and goods company. Nobody ever knows Reckitt Bensicker, but if you look at their products, you'll instantly know their products. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to uh, hire brand managers. So they teamed up with uh, a Facebook games company and created a brand manager game. And actually that would became a significant hiring process for them. Um, <laughs> they, they said some of the better people that they were finding were people that were doing really well in the game and they would contact them and say, hey, <laughs> we created this. You're doing well, do you wanna become a brand manager? And I think things like that, especially the gamification side and AI and its adaptive learning capabilities to structure something for somebody who's struggling and somebody who's advanced, how do you change content for that? All those things are going to come about and really influence kids and, and education in general, corporate training as well. Yeah, it's it's going to be wild. Back to your your point about the, the gamification and not needing coders anymore. Some news just dropped, a leak, potentially true, potentially not, but probably true. Google has this, this thing called Maker Suite called Stubs, and pretty much it's a prompt to app system where you mm -hmm. just prompt it to create your little app to do the thing, and it'll write all the code and do all the things. And they're plugging in Gemini, which is going to be Google's like GPT-4 competitor. And so we are definitely getting to that point where someone like in their basement, the classic, it's not just MIT basement anymore, it's anyone's basement. Mm -hmm. You have an idea for an app, you can create that app. And I don't know, we're at like the, the singularity or we don't know what's going to happen next is what happens when I don't need even to sell an app 
anymore. What happens when the entrepreneur isn't an entrepreneur? You just create all the apps for yourself that you need and they're all personalized to you and you don't have to pay a dime Anyone. for them aside from like Ooh, the cloud costs or whatever. Yeah. So it's like now you're empowered on a whole different kind of level where like you are the product, not that isn't already the case with the attention economy, but yeah. now you are, you can make money off yourself as the product rather than someone else making money off. Yeah. And <laughs> that, that personalized productivity or whatever it becomes that you use the apps for, but that you imagine in, in kind of the work environment, productivity would be a, a hyper relevant one. There was a, a case here in the UK a number of years ago, I believe it was pre-COVID where a guy who was working in IT had created some sort of automated things. And this is well before ChatGPT and everything, where he had automated his whole job. He, he never really showed up to work, right? But it all <laughs> looked like he was working. And the company fired it, right? Now, rightly or wrongly, I thought it was a bit wrongly, personally, because if I were in the, the C-suite of that company, I would have been calling the guy in and saying, hey, <laughs> how do I do this with everything? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pure brilliance. And this is before the ease of everything that we're talking about. And as kids are getting to be educated by using AI and seeing all the different places it can go, it's, it's going to be a brilliant future and a scary one at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's, I think, just modern reality for everything. <laughs> yeah, it's going to come down to a lot of different factors. Hopefully we're all okay. There are two things that I want to talk about, Ethan, on maybe the more critical side. One is that his prompts are not great, but I look at your prompts and they're not great. They're, I, have a big, I have a big problem with prompts that are just like big blocks of text. And like when you think about this in really long, when you think about this, you, you want to like imagine you're a human who has to read this and do the thing and you only get to look at it once. If you're reading those huge blocks of text, you're going to get confused. You're going to forget what you were supposed to do. You'll remember parts of it, but not all of it. But imagine like a recipe that you read in when you're cooking something. It's structured in a certain way. Here's what we're making. Here's the ingredients you need. Here are the steps you need to take to make it. And this is what it should look like at the end. And it's structured in that way so that you can easily follow it and remember it. And he does not do that. Which leads to my next criticism, which is obviously a little bit biased, is he says in that talk that we talked about, or that I mm -hmm. showed you, you can do everything for free online. You don't need to yeah. pay for any of these courses. It's all there for you. And you know what, Ethan? For you, yes, absolutely. And for many people, there's tons of free resources online. But A, which of those should I be listening to? Like you said, yeah. I thought there's You need to someone discern. And two, you're an educator. <laughs> Come on. People need a person to be able to ask questions and chat with <laughs> and brainstorm with and experiment with. It's yes, you can definitely find a lot of this stuff for free online. You can search through everything and figure out what works. You can practice and experiment. But like everyone needs someone to talk to. Everyone needs a little bit of a guide to help nudge them in the right direction. So that's the one thing he said that I was like, come on, Ethan. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on both of those points, uh, especially the education side, right? I find it fascinating that somebody who has obviously grown up in a, a whole world of education where it was the sage on stage kind of uh, approach is saying, no, you don't really need me. 
Yeah, yeah. that 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 uh, doesn't strike me as correct, right? For what anybody comes out of an education background, but again, we, we you and I are a bit older than these twenty-year-olds and, and younger that are experiencing AI for the first time and bringing in how it's going to be brought into the classroom. The one thing I did want to ask before we close, Joseph, what do you think? We, we skirted the subject a little, touched it, but the ethics, AI in education, how do you police that? Especially when you consider a bias or and things of that nature. Yeah, this is a much longer than a one-minute uh, response, but... <laughs> In general, I think the philosophy that Ethan is taking of my expectation is that you are going to use this thing. And then if you're going to use this thing, you need to show your work, essentially, just like in math, your math class, right? They're always like, you got to show your work. And a lot of this has to do with the, the content that is generated is less important than how it was generated. I want to see your thought process. That is what is important to me. I want to see how you're breaking down this task. I want to see how you're asking these questions. I want to see how you're self-reflecting on bias. Mm -hmm. I, I want to bake that into this process of critical thinking and evaluation rather than the expectations. I want an essay. Just show me your prompt for that essay or less. It's, I don't care yeah. about that. I, yeah. I want to see the entire conversation, right? And see how you thought about this because that's where you learn, not in finding the answer or not in the answer, but how you found the answer. Yes. Yeah. There's uh, the saying, the modern expert isn't the person who actually knows the answer. They know where to go to find the sources, the people, the resources that can supply it. I agree with you. The other thing that would be interesting to see out if Ethan is listening to plant the seed is Goda, our friend Goda, who's got her own YouTube channel planted in one of her videos, the fact that she asks ChatGBT to critique, which you don't see many people speaking about, but that'd be very interesting if somebody, it could be a challenge for Synth Minds and our, our guys. What if we create some prompts that are ethical critiques or the different kind of philosophical, uh, who knows, right? But what can you do there that then can assist as a critic <laughs> and still show the thought process and how you brought that in? And so you can safeguard and teaching the process of how to best use AI. Yeah, and, and for those listening, that is super easy. You just have to either put it in the prompt or create a what we call a command. You do forward slash bias equals, and then you just say critique this output for potential bias. Think step-by-step, step, outline them for me, and then let's evaluate it together or something like that. So at least it'll, it'll, it'll hallucinate those answers, but <laughs> you'll find them and some of them yeah. will be like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. And then that helps you self-reflect on it. In closing, you always have to remind people it's a co-pilot. Co Don't take what it produces as first and, and just run with it. You got to do some extra work. Mm -hmm. Cool. Ethan, if you're listening, we love you. Keep up the good work. And uh, good conversation as always, Eldad. I'll see you next time. Bye, Joseph.